Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Cameron Horine, and this is your Made for Agriculture podcast with MFA. Generally speaking, you guys are used to hearing Adam Jones. If you're a normal listener, you're used to hearing Adam kind of kick off and be the one that does the intro and takes care of things. And I'm just kind of the background guy that sits in the back and gives a little color commentary. But with our schedules and the way things have worked in the last few weeks, we've just been really busy. And so Adam and I haven't had a chance to be able to sit down together and um, put together a podcast with a guest and from that front. And so, you know, I kind of decided, you know, I'll just take things into my hands, try to get something put together for you guys so we could try to maintain our schedule of every two weeks and get you guys some um, products and some information out there. So it's going to be a little different having me and it's just going to be me today. And so we're, we're going to talk through some things. I'd say just buckle in, sit down and we'll just, we'll try to get through this. If you're a first time listener, thank you for joining. Maybe go back and check out some of our other episodes with Adam and see how those goes as well. Here today, what my goal is, is, you know, we're thinking about ramping up for season, um, going into planting season here. Uh, you know, we're looking at the first part of March here when we're recording this and we're thinking about, okay, the weather's starting to get nice. I mean, they are calling for some more snow and the weather's starting to get nice. People are really starting to get things in the ground. And so how, how do we, how do we utilize some of the information and data that MFA has put together and um, benefit our producers from that? And I know you know, we talk about in some of our other episodes, um, some of the trialing that we've done. We did have a sit down with Adam, myself, and we sat down with Jason Worthington. We talked about our trialing program and how we get those trials put out from that aspect. But I wanted to kind of, just since it was just me, maybe sit down and kind of talk through some of the trials we did in 2021. Some of the things we're seeing, um, I just put out, just wrote a Today's Farmer article on this same um, general topic for the March episode. So if you receive that magazine or if you'd like to, um, you can go out and get the Today's Farmer article and that's going to kind of cover some of the things I'm talking about today. But just kind of recapping some of the things we saw in 2021 and um, kind of giving you guys an insight of, you know, what to expect from those if you're looking at them and you're possibly already using them. I know, again, like I said, in March, a lot of our decisions hopefully are already made. Um, when we're thinking about the 2022 growing season, hopefully we've got together with you. We've had a cropping plan. We've been able to really set out and, you know, kind of play a role in some of these things. But, you know, some of these things I want to talk about fungicides, maybe you're still on the fence of, you know, maybe we're on the fence of thinking about fungicide applications. Is, is it going to make sense for me from that aspect and really kind of understanding, well, you know, where's the market at supply of those fungicides, but then also, you know, the market is tight, right? Products are really high. Prices are increasing. We think about all of our input costs we have and fungicides are one of those last, one of those last products that we're putting on in the end of the year. Is it going to make sense? Do I have the money and cash flow to do it? And so just kind of just making sure talking through what we've seen over the last few years of managing these trials and just trying to make, help make you feel more comfortable if that's the route you want to go and just kind of give you an insight of as to why we still see a benefit from it. I think we'll just start talking about probably the easiest, I don't know if it's the easiest trial, but one of the main trials that we do just from a grand standpoint, and that's testing our more corn and more soy lineups. And so we test all of those. Like we said, we do small plot research 
for those doing testing lines and doing running experimental lines. And, you know, I won't go into the full on details and specifics of it, but we're testing. I mean, we're on the more corn piece. We're testing. I think we tested close to 30 different lines this past year, just on the more corn side. And then we also have, we have our partner brands in it as well. So we have DeKalb lines, NK lines and um, Bravant lines as well in there. And they're bringing us products that are, first look products that they want us to, that they're hoping to possibly bring out into the market soon or something that you know that's really standing out from their perspective and be able to look at it so we we test those across 14 different sites across our trade territory um, for both corn and soybeans so we have 14 sites for each one so two of those sites are our main training sites that we have at columbia missouri and boonville and so those are big sites where we have 20, a 20 acre site and a 35 acre site where we do a whole bunch of other small pot testing from that aspect. So just on the more corn and the more soy side, we do a lot of those trialing, really trying to touch points from across our trade territory. So we make sure that, you know, the lines that we're bringing forward in the more corn, more soy lineup, really, we're making sure that they fit your trade territory, but we feel comfortable and confident in what we're bringing from that aspect but the other thing about it is is it gives us perspective of by having the partner brands in it's giving us perspective of how our how our products stand up to some of those in the competitive market and the ones that we're bringing and so you know when our cams our key account managers sit down with you um, maybe they bring in the seed specialist or whoever it is that's sitting down with you and you know you're thinking about the varieties that you're planting they can feel comfortable and confident knowing that since they are partner brands they can help you develop and build a diverse portfolio that's going to fit you and the, the farm and your producer, you know. So, you know, we talk about in a lot of aspects of our lives, you know, we think about the stock market. If you're in the stock market, you with your 401ks or any of those kind of things, how making sure you're diversified in your stocks and your funds is going to help you over the long run. And we really think about that as well when we're talking about planting and making sure we have the right varieties, whether that be corn or soybeans fitting the right acre of your field, but making sure we're diversified. We don't want to go out and just have one single variety across all of our acres. And, you know, part of that is because, you know, we may have a rock star um, variety and, you know, feel really good and comfortable about it and say, you know, it's one of those, you know, talking like a seed guy here, it's a racehorse variety that fits all soils and um, it's really going to come out of the ground and, it, you know, it, it just fits everything, right? Well, that may be true, but what happens if we have, you know, just a weather event or something that is not conducive to that hybrid and variety? I can think of, and, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but I can think of some varieties that have had that in the past um, with a different company where they really pushed a variety out, said, hey, we need to we need to get this on a lot of acres. They did that, and then that was a, we had a really high heat stress year, and that variety just did not hold up to the high heat stress had really poor pollinations from that year. And so that's why we really need to make sure we're diversifying um, our portfolio when we're thinking about that because we don't want to get into a situation where, you know, maybe maybe 80 acres um, did really well, but the rest of it did really poorly because the weather or any of these other factors that, you know, come into play each and every year has a stress on that. And so just to by diversifying. And so having these varieties in the long run, Having these varieties um, across our trade territory, having these partner brands, having all of our lines in the same plot, it allows us to be able to build a portfolio, gives our guys comfort and, conf 
and confidence in knowing what they're putting um, is going to fit, but also what kind of soil types it may fit from that aspect. And so, you know, we run last year, total corn varieties we had, I think we had close to 55 different varieties that we tested across all of our brands. And when we were looking at our soybeans, our soybean lineup was much more diverse last year. We ran close to 90 different varieties that we had out. But that's because, you know, when we think about soybeans, we have so many more traits that we're looking at. We're trying to cover at that at that point last year in 2021, we were still trying to cover E3 beans, still trying to cover extend flex beans, which we're moving ahead on the market, but still having some um, straight extend soybean lines in there because, you know, those have been what we've had in the past and people were still comfortable and confident in, and also utilizing them as a standard saying, hey, some of these new extend flex lines, some of these new E3 lines, this is what's coming out. And this is kind of where they stack up to these first extend lines that were coming out that, you know, were really, we really saw a boost increase and in yield and just making people feel more comfortable. Like, hey, the genetics are coming from this standpoint. And so by having all those different um, varieties and those different hybrids in there, again, like I said, we're able to communicate a diverse portfolio and feel more comfortable and confident in our um, soybean ratings. And so, you know, we see anywhere from yields of, especially, you know, just thinking on the corn side, we, in our trials, we see anywhere from yields of 120 to 140 bushel corn in some of our sites, all the way up to 300 bushel. And so we're, we're covering a wide range variety from that. And so, you know, I'm not going to go into the details too extreme here because it's hard to kind of portray some of these things, you know, just vocally, here, but I mean, we see we've see, we've got some really good varieties from that aspect, both corn and um, soybeans from our lines, but also our partner brand lines. And I would I would I would venture to say if you want to see some of these numbers laid out in full aspect, um, to try to get a hold of today's farmer magazine, or just reach out to a, you know one of our cams or somebody at the location, and um, be more than happy to try to get you some of that information. Because like I said, it's just it's kind of difficult to portray that from this aspect. But I will say one of the things that we have been doing and we have been testing the last few years, we've been doing this the last three years for our lineup is really looking at how do fungicides impact the varieties that we have in the field. And I think this is more important than ever going into this year. And so when we think about input costs and how they have rows and they're they're getting higher and you know supplies are tight you know maybe you're only able to get x number of gallons of fungicide this year you only have x number of dollars of fungicide this year and where should i place that where is it going to be where is it going to provide me the best roi from that standpoint um so that you know one of the trials that we've done the last few years that i really feel like helps this and really stands out is is we've been doing a variety by fungicide trial. And so where we take all of the all the varieties that we have that we've been testing and we do replications of fungicides across half of the field and half not. So we're able to test each variety in its response to a fungicide, right? And so hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. What I'm saying is, is we have a block of, the fun, of each variety untreated and we have a block of each variety um, treated with fungicide, but then replicated five times so we can make sure we're getting statistically significant data from that aspect. And so allowing us to do, I mean, we think about this all the time is, you know, certain varieties respond well to certain soil types, right? And that's why we place each of our varieties in different place on our farm. You know, just talking about having that diverse portfolio, but every variety is going to then respond differently 
to a fungicide. Okay. And so it's just like, you know, we think about us as people, we all respond to interactions that we have in our life differently, just depending on how, you know, genetically we are set up. And so it's the same thing with corn. Some of these varieties and soybeans, some of these varieties may respond even greater and some of them may not. And so that's, that's something that we've been able to do the last three years now is what we've been doing. And it's, it's really amazing to see how there's some varieties that have a very little response, you know, um, maybe two, three, four bushel response. And some varieties have a ginormous response, you know, on the corn side, you know, maybe 20 to 25 bushel increase by just having a fungicide. And so the interactions with that fungicide and keeping that plant healthier is really being able to help it, you know. And so having some of this data to back up and be able to also understand is really critical. Um, I feel like, especially going, like I said, going into this year, knowing that you, we may be um, strapped for cash going into the fungicide season. We may not, um, or we may just have a supply shortage and we're like, hey, we can only get X number. What variety, you know, what field should we go after? You know, being able to take into account, okay, weather patterns and saying, okay, well, this field over here, maybe we've had a history of diseases from that aspect, or just having an understanding of, hey, this is, this is where diseases may be coming in. This variety responds a lot better to fungicides. I want that to be my number one priority priority field because that's where I feel like I'm going to see the best ROI from that standpoint compared to some of the others. And so, you know, I you know I ran some numbers when when I wrote the article, and I know they've changed, and they're going to continue to change when we think about you know the situation not being political, but the situation in Ukraine and Russia and how that's impacting impacting our market. I'm sure you guys have seen the grain market prices. I mean, some of these things are going really high, and um, obviously that's going to have uh, an effect across the whole territory um, from we're thinking about aspects. But, you know, I ran some numbers. you thinking about, you know, a top, top, a top tier fungicide. So thinking like Trivapro, if we're thinking about running Trivapro on corn, um, run, from running that, and having it flown on with a plane, if you're thinking about the product and the price of the application per acre, um, and then if you had $6 corn, and I mean $6 corn at this point is pretty easy probably to market and um, go ahead and line up. But if you had $6 corn and you were producing, um, I think I did 180 bushel, an average of 180 bushel corn, you're looking at somewhere between um, $40 per acre. Um, ROI, ROI on top of that just by having that fungicide application. So I say that um, knowing that you're not going to see that in every instance, but that's a pretty good average based on the three. That's that that's the average that we've seen across all three years um, in this trial. And so you're going to be able to see that. Now, again, I want to caution you. And so I'll, I'll caution you to say supply could be short on fungicides this year. And we've talked about that a lot about other products and so just making sure you're having conversations with guys and making sure we're locking in things so you could feel comfortable and confident on those that we can see and so you know just kind of again i don't want to go through numbers because i think that would be really boring to go through here sitting on a podcast and talking about but i think it if you want to see some of the things we've done more corn and more soy lineup is what i have kind of laid out and um, some of the documentation and paperwork that I've put together for the Today's Farmer and other things, 
is as you can see which one of those more corn and more soy lineups that we've tested over the last three years have a response on that. And so please feel free to reach out to people and try to get some of that information um, from that. I think it's I think it's some pretty interesting data and it, it could really help you from that grow. You know, just kind of continuing on the fungicide piece since we're already there before we kind of go to some of the other trials. You know, there's been a lot of work fungicides over the years and it's it's really starting to grow and i would say you know one of the bigger arguments that we still have is probably the untreated acre is still probably our number one competitor than when we're actually thinking about which brand is which brand is better which brand you know which product brings us um the better um end and dividend i will say that there is a huge difference between products okay and so when we think about some of the products that are brought to us, there is a huge difference between, um, I wouldn't I don't know that I'd go to say there's a huge difference between some of the name, some of the big name brand products that we see from our big six. But when you really start looking at some of the generics from that aspect, there can be a difference between those products and what we see. Um, some of them do better on certain diseases. And so you're really having an understanding of kind of your field history from that aspect. But, you know, just a general guideline, to say over the past three or four years, we've seen we've seen anywhere from 10 to 12 bushel increase in corn by having a fungicide application on it. And then soybeans anywhere from three to four bushels increase by having that. And then when you go into account, and I'm sure we've talked about it or you've heard about it, when we think about products that we have, such as our Gold Advantage Trend B product, so that's a slow release nitrogen product, having that coupled with a fungicide really pays off, okay? And so, you know, just thinking about the science behind that and understanding understanding what is going on to help bring that to us is really where it is. And so when we think about fungicides, and, I, you know, not to get too deep and technical here, but just really giving you kind of an understanding of what's going on and why, is as we think about the slow release nitrogen from our Gold Advantage Trend B product, when you apply a fungicide on a plant, you are protecting that plant from two ways. Um, you know, a fungicide, generally speaking, we want to have a two, at least a two mode of action fungicide. One that is going to be a curative and a preventative. And so that curative effect is going to um, take care of the spores that are on the plant at that time. You know, it's we're trying to kill those spores that are active on that plant at that time. And then the preventative is going to be our residual products that we're putting down. And so kind of, you know, thinking about it is, let's think about it as a soybean herbicide program. We think about Liberty or glyphosate. So glufosinate or glyphosate or glufosinate, those are contact. They are I don't want to say contact herbicides. They are site-specific herbicides. So they have to hit the plant. They have to hit the target weed to kill it, right? They don't have any soil re residual activity from that. And so you spray it on the plant, it's going to kill the plant that it's selected to kill at that point in time. Whereas we think about a product like Authority, one of our soil applied products, those aren't necessarily killing the we the weeds that are up but they're preventing any weeds that are then coming up, okay? And so that's the curative and the preventative aspect of a, of a soybean herbicide. Same way when we're thinking about our fungicides is we're trying to utilize two modes of actions in our products that has a preventative and a curative aspect from it. And so when you spray that onto the leaf of a plant, that curative piece is going to 
Um, it's going to go after the spores, the fungicide spores that are on the plant. It's going to affect them. But in the same sense that it's affecting those, um, it's attacking the mitochondria of the fungicide. It's also impacting the mitochondria and affecting the plant too. So it is putting stress on the plant to overcome those. And so you are causing a stress impact on the plant at that time by having a gold event, you know, our trend B product, a slow release nitrogen product in there, that product is actually helping the plant to recover faster from its plant stress. Okay. And so the nitrogen that's in that product is helping to that plant to then quickly assimilate and recoup faster um, after that fungicide application. And so it can then reboost and re, um, basically reset faster and continue to grow, um, start affecting its plant health from that aspect. And so that's really where dividends pay off. Also, when we think about our Trimd product, it does have um, boron in it as well. And so that's one of those micronutrients that we, you know, we talk about some, we don't think about too much. You know, sometimes we think about, oh, well, we're getting it in some of our fertilizers, putting it on the, in the soil. But that, it, it, it can be pretty mobile in the soil. It can be pretty lost early. And by the time really the plant needs it, is most likely it's not going to be found by the roots or nearly as abundantly in the roots. And it's also a nutrient that once it's in the plant, it doesn't move very well within the plant. And so by being able to provide it on the leaves foliar, it's able, we're able to do a better job of putting that um, nutrient in the plant where it needs to be. And so, you know, we're thinking about our optimal timing of fungicides, especially on corn, we're hitting it at that VT time frame, right when the silks are getting ready to come out and boron plays a huge role in um, silk growth and pollen tube, um, pollen tube um, formation. And so being able to make sure that we're getting good pollination on those ears um, and really, I mean, when we're thinking about, you know, our grain and our yield, that's where it's coming from, right? Is by having good, a grain fill on our ears from that aspect. And so those products really work. Um, again, it's not just, just necessarily a yield boost component when we're thinking about adding it with our fungicides, but it's, it's providing a plant health, um, and a plant stress reducer for those plants. And so just overall, we're making them healthier. And they're being able to last longer, last longer into the year, and being able to photosynthesize longer, and that's what's helping bring some of the yield boost from. And so we're seeing—I mean, we've seen positive yield results over the last multiple years from that kind of product. And so, you know, that's just something to think about: is if you're putting out a fungicide, I'd be hard pressed to say you shouldn't have um, a slow-release nitrogen product like Trend B in it, just from the added benefits that we've seen just not only from yield, but also from plant health. And so I know, you know, I, I've ran a combine. I know with these plots, I do know that, you know, some people, that's one of the sticklers is, is well, especially when it comes to beans as well. If I spray, you know, these products, it keeps my plant greener, longer. It just makes it a little tougher to run the combine. That's true. I'm not going to argue that it is true, but I, I, I would be, I would be willing to venture and say that I would be okay with having, my beans a little tougher, my corn greener a little bit longer and bring in an added advantage from yield than worrying about whether or not I had to wait a couple extra days for it to dry down um, completely to be able to harvest that. So that's just my perspective, I, you know, from that. The only other fungicide, um, so we don't just keep running on fungicides too long. The only other one that I may touch on um, just briefly because I know it's been talked about a lot 
and is out there on the marketplace is um, Zyway um, from FMC. And so we have tested Zyway from FMC the last two, three years, last three years from that aspect. And so it's a, it is, it's an in-furrow fungicide treatment um, that you plant with the seed in a um, in-furrow system. And so, you know, I, we've, we've seen a lot of impacts and a lot of questions about where does it play? Where, where does it fit within our system? Is it, is it allowing us to be able to get away from that over the top late fungicide application from that aspect, um, from that piece? This is what I have seen. And this is, this is my, this is solely my opinion. And this is where I see its fit is so I can see it is not, in my opinion, it's not a season long product. Okay. And so I don't see that it can be a season long product where we can put Zyway in, in furrow and expect not to have to do an over the top fungicide application and pay huge dividends from that. That, that, that's my perspective. That's what I've seen in the last few years. I will preface and say though, that will, it does have a huge impact and have a role depending on your farming management and your style. And so when we think about some of the diseases that come in, so the big disease that, you know, hits a lot of our territory is Southern rust. That disease, all the spores are developed in the southern states and they blow up with the weather pattern throughout the summer. And so sometimes we get southern rust a little earlier in the year. Sometimes we get a little later in the year, depending on what the weather patterns have been for that year. So those blow in. And so we can't, you know, that's the weather dependent and weather based. And so that's going to depend on what the weather brings for that disease. And Zyway is not going to help take care of that disease from what I've seen. The diseases that we do have that it, it can play a big role and benefit from is, you know, we're thinking about northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. Some of these diseases we see, especially further north, um, and those, those diseases overwinter in our crop residue. And so I know we're not a big corn on corn trade territory, but if you're planting in corn on corn where you have corn residue and so those spores are already there, they're going to be able to get onto that corn, new corn plant and be able to regrow a lot sooner. And so in that same aspect, you know, we think about no-till um, fields. And so I know Adam and I, we joke about, you know, me being 100%, you know, liking conventional till and he's no-till guy. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with no-till from this aspect, but I will say that we all know that in no-till situations, the corn residue um, generally lasts longer in, in that field. And so we think about the corn residue still being there, that does have an added advantage of those spores possibly still being active and involved in that field sooner. And so having Zyway could help with the early inoculation of those diseases and helping keeping those down. And so that's really where I've seen a benefit um, from that. I haven't had any trials further north where you know generally we see some of these diseases um, more predominant but we do we have had them in um, some corn on corn situations at our one training site where we've we've done some corn on corn and really where that high residue corn there is really where we're seeing huge dividends from by having Zyway because it's reducing the impact of gray leaf spot and northern corn leaf blight the inoculation of it early on in the year and so I'm just thinking about that so that's kind of you know a real brief 
touch on Zyway and my feelings, again, is it a good product? Yes. Is it a bad product? I don't think it's a bad product either. I would say that, you know, it's not going to over, it's not going to replace an over the top. But if you are in a situation where, you know, maybe you've had some issues with stock rots or, you know, when you're, if you think about your field history and some of those issues where maybe you've had some stock rots or you've had um, really high cases of gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf bite, and that's been kind of your predominant um, disease, that's where I'd really think about, you know, maybe looking into Zyway and seeing how that could possibly impact um, your ability to produce um, produce a healthier crop from that aspect. Just kind of switching gears, talk about one of the other trials that we've done, that we that we looked at this year. This is our first year looking at it. And so really, you know, it's it. a lot of people have talked about it. I think it's because there's been a lot of movement when we're thinking about the university some of the universities not here in missouri but some of them in um, iowa and indiana at purdue that there's been some more talk about um are we are we running short of sulfur on our soybean crop and so how can sulfur play an impact and help grow boost our yields and soybeans from that aspect and so um What's the best way to get sulfur possibly on our soybeans? Um, is there a decent timing from that and from that aspect? And so we kind of ran with a study more or less somewhat based on what study was being shown at Purdue University. Um, and they were utilizing AMS, so ammonium sulfate, on, on, their, on their soybeans as, as a dry fertility. And so... We we did that study last year at two, our two large at our two large sites for small plot testing, and so we wanted to be able to see you know kind of where that from in that trial we did we did we had three different application rates and three different timings as well. So we had um, from that aspect we were running 10, 20, 10 so. Actual pounds of sulfur, we were running 10, 20, and 40 pounds of actual sulfur. And then we did it at, at plant time, um, early vegetation timing, and then at an R, you know, an R1, R2 time frame, just to kind of see is there a difference between when we're thinking about um, what state of the soybean is it going to have an impact from. And so, you know, we think about sulfur, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot on corn from that aspect and we know you know a lot of times when we're going out top dressing corn we're putting the sulfur out into that onto that field and so we know that over the years we've had a large reduction in sulfur atmospheric sulfur um, just from coal plants being shut down and some of those aspects from that and so we're ha we have less acid rain from that aspect when it comes to the sulfur piece in our atmosphere and so atmospheric sulfur that we've relied on in years past for being able to produce a high crop has really reduced. And so we've talked about it a lot more in corn in the last few years. And it's been kind of a standard common practice. You know, when we think about doing a top dress application of on corn with uh, nitrogen, Hey, you know, make sure you have some AMS in there that sulfur is going to really help pay off. And so how is that how is that impacting soybeans as well because i mean we're not relying on putting nitrogen on soybeans because obviously they fixate their own nitrogen 
but that sulfur is still a pretty critical nutrient, right? And so it's not, I mean, technically it's, it's a macronutrient. It's not considered a micronutrient, um, probably between, probably behind N, P, and K. So nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, it's probably right up there as the next nutrient that's really critical um, from producing a high-end crop. You know, the other two, I, the other macros that we think about would be magnesium and calcium, but we're getting those from our soil just from from lime and adjusting pH from that aspect. So we're not, you know, fertilizing with those in aspects. So the, the next nutrient that we fertilize for past the NP and K is sulfur. And so where is that going to play a role on soybeans? And so what we saw last year, and we're going to continue this study and... If, if, if I can convince some producers, I'm going to try to have some large-scale studies as well because sometimes with fertilizer studies, it's easier to see in a large-scale environment where you're not dealing with a micro-environment and a small plot research, but you have a large, larger um, variability of the soil from that aspect. And so if we can get that done, I'm hopeful. But what we saw was there's a trend um, statistics wise, I didn't see any significance, but there's a trend of seeing anywhere from a two to four bushel increase by having AMS, having AMS at any of the different rates that we applied at the application time from either at plant. So right there, really close to plant time frame or that early vegetative time frame. And then when we applied at the reproductive it fell back off to our untreated. So our our strip that we had no AMS on was equivalent to that of having reproductive. So by applying it that late, we were missing the time frame when that soybean was utilizing that AMS and it wasn't paying off. But by having it early when the soybean's coming up and then also, you know, early re- vegetative right before it goes into reproductive, we saw a two to four bushel increase from that. And so like I said, we're planning on doing this again in 2022 to see from that aspect, um, can we build on this data? Can we make sure that this is kind of what we're seeing? Can we maybe um, tune in and see if there is a better rate or if it's just a matter of just trying to get some sulfur on there is what we're seeing and add a benefit from. And like I said, hopefully have some large scale trials from that. So So that's kind of my thoughts on AMS on soybeans. Like I said, I've had quite a few questions on it from that aspect. And so that's where, as of today, I kind of sit from that that piece. And so then the only other, you know, trial I really wanted to talk about or type of products I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of talking about future testing and some of the things we've looked at is, is, Um, I'm going to classify them as nutrient use efficiency products. And so really these are products that um, have been really portrayed in the corn marketplace in trying to say, how can we be more efficient with our nitrogen? How can, you know, some of these products are also talking about phosphorus and phosphorus solubilization and utilizing them um, more efficiently from that aspect. And so some of the products that we've looked at is Source by Sound Ag, um, Nutrition In by Corteva, and um, we haven't we haven't totally hands on looked at it, but you know products to just talk about is also Pivot Bio, um, and so you know I'm sure you've heard of probably all three of those out in the marketplace. They've really came out about, 
And I mean, I, I would say that it's probably necessary that they've came out too. you know, just thinking about the cost of nitrogen and the way some of our products are really pushing up in price and going from that aspect, how to, is there a way we can utilize um, a product that can help us get corn closer to being like a soybean plant, right? And so, I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Um, I was talking with Jason Worthington the other day and, you know, we were saying the ultimate goal and the, what would be the coolest thing is, is if we could somehow get a product that we could put on corn or we could finally con- find a way to convert corn to fixate its own nitrogen as soybeans do. That would solve a lot of issues. I mean, it would solve a lot of things, right? And so if we if there was a product or something we could utilize to get us that closer that's where it's being so that's really kind of where these products are going i mean i wouldn't say i mean they're not fully fixating nitrogen for us right but they're 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 not let me rephrase it they're not causing corn to fixate nitrogen themselves but they're getting closer to being able to help produce nitrogen for the products and so you know thinking about where we stand with some of these products, we're still in initial testing of some of these. I would say that this is where I feel comfortable saying with these products as of today is, is I can see how there could be a potential benefit from them. But I will say that when they when they claim that they can produce 25 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for the plant and you not see a fall off on yield, I agree with their statement in the sense that, generally speaking, most of the time we are probably putting 25 to 30 pounds more nitrogen than what's needed for our yield goal. And so, you know, when we think about nitrogen, generally speaking, up until this year, and I mean, price is relative, but generally speaking, nitrogen has been one of the cheaper products that we've been willing to over apply because we don't want that to be the limiting factor, right? And so we, we've we always been pretty conserv- um, non-conservative with our nitrogen and just been aggressive and has been willing to um, push push the envelope there to make because sh- we want to not, we want to be able to make sure we still get those yields that we have. And so when they're saying they can um, reduce your nitrogen by 25 to 30 pounds and still produce um, the same yield. I st- I feel comfortable that they are probably right by saying that because generally speaking, we're pushing more nitrogen out than what we need to. And so we're still trying to do some testing on, you know, trying to decide, hey, if we back off our nitrogen even further, and so, you know, say we have a 180 bushel yield goal, and we've been putting out 180 pounds, trying to have that one-to-one ratio of nitrogen, of a pound of nitrogen to a bushel of corn, if we back that off um, 20, 30, 50 pounds, are these products going to actually replace some of those and get us back to where that yield is? We're still in the testing phase of that. So I don't know, you know, I don't have a clear answer on that from that aspect. But I think there's some promise in some of these products um, moving forward. um, And hopefully we can get more data and feel more comfortable on them. I'm still... You know, I'm still in the learning phase, trying to figure out how some of these products are working. You know, worked with Source for the last couple of years, and one of you know they're bringing they're bringing an impact of being able to help bring nitrogen to the table, but also 
um, solubilizing phosphorus and making phosphorus more readily available in our soils and still trying to figure out and understand their science behind that is one of the things that I'm working on and still trying to decide um, how how is how is that impacting our yield and where is that? And so, you know, we think about our soil, we have a ton of phosphorus and potassium in our soil. It's tied up in our soil, soil particles and it's not readily available to our plants from that aspect. And so by having a products that can help bring that would be really um, impactful and um, would be a huge impact. And we, I mean, we, we've tested and we've looked at some products that are similar to that same aspect on seed treatments okay and so there's a lot of seed treatments that have these same impacts um, from that aspect when we're thinking about solubilization of phosphorus and building a mycorrhizae complex and and we've seen positive benefits from that so that's why that's why i feel like there's hope from these products and so i would say you know bear with us at mfa we're still trying to look at them and work figure things out from it and so that's kind of where you know i i fit and feel on those and so um yeah with that i hope that i hope i brought you guys some insights to some of the things we saw in 2021 and um hopefully give you some insights of what we're looking for possibly pushing forward with 2022 like i said we're hoping to retest some of these things also look at some new things that are coming down the line and hopefully we can get those products out to you and hopefully i didn't bore you guys to death i know that i'm usually I don't talk this near as this much so you guys didn't get lost in some of the things that I was talking about but hopefully um, you guys were able to get something out of it I know that kind of going through this stuff is a little more challenging and difficult when you don't have a presentation in front of you you don't have the field in front of you and you can actually see some of these products so hopefully hopefully this helped and um, I hope that you guys um, take something from out of it and again if you're a new listener please make sure you just go ahead and Check out some of our episodes and stay tuned in a couple weeks when we have another episode. I hope to have my good partner, Adam Jones, back, who usually steers this course and drives drives the vehicle and probably drives a lot more smoothly than what I did today. But I appreciate you guys joining, and um, I hope you guys um, appreciated what I brought to you. And uh, again, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.